Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Today, I am thrilled to have a guest from the West Coast. Very excited to have Ash Malad on the program. We're going to be talking about family balance today and some of the important things that coaches should consider when beginning their career, starting their families, uh, moving into the next stages of their professional and personal life as a swim coach in the United States. Uh, and more specifically, as a club coach in the United States. And as I said, I, I'm just very honored and grateful to have you today, Ash. Welcome to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a, uh, I think our paths have crossed or are connected in so many ways and have never actually crossed. So this is fun. Yeah, I was super excited. You know, I've, I've, I've kind of followed you and I've seen you on deck uh, at a couple meets in, in our career, and um, I, I certainly have appreciated what Bellevue has done uh, as a coach who's been on deck and watched the success of that team. So congratulations to you guys. It's been fun to watch your development over the last three years. Thank you. Uh, it's a big testament to, to Andrew, our, our head coach, for uh, putting a, sta a staff together and having kind of a vision and creating an environment where everybody can kind of thrive both in and out of the pool. And I think that goes for athletes as well as swimmers and plays a big part in uh, kind of our discussion today and why I'm where I am and how I got to where I am. You know, I always enjoy when we have the coaches corner and we have either Eastern zone alumni uh, you know, or, or LSCs that were close together here on the East Coast. And I know that for many years, you worked, as we mentioned in pre-production, with Christian and Dan and Paris Jacobs, and you have uh, some deep roots with Machine and the NVSL. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of grew up in swimming together, Dan kind of being a little bit older than the rest of us. I'll, I'll needle him a little bit, but... Uh... You know, Dan Paris, Christian, and I were all in the same York Swim Club staff. I grew up swimming for Greg York. Um, and we coached summer league against each other. I spent the second year of Machine's existence with them before I moved out west. Um, Christian was in my wedding. I was at Dan and Paris's wedding. I mean, all of it were, uh, history could have been very different had, uh, I not left. So it's, it's always a big what if in my career and kind of our lives, but those guys know I love them and they're, uh, they're my people. You know, it's so great that you mentioned that because as soon as I put out that we were going to do this, I got a message from coach York and I got messages from the Jacobs and, uh, you know, it's just great that people want to check in and, and see how you're doing. And I think one of the reasons that we had so much response for people asking me for the link, I think I had 182 messages um, to send this recording once we finish it to people. And that's, you know, that's just great, Ash. And I think the reason is what we're talking about today, it's something that you hear coaches talk a lot about in hospitality rooms. You hear coaches talk to each other about it on the phone. You hear coaching staffs talk to each other about it on the pool deck. But rarely have we seen out in the public a full disclosure, honest conversation about the challenges of being a full-time USA swimming club coach. 
It's different than being a college coach. It's different than being a high school coach. It's different than being many other youth sports organization coaches. And that's not to say it's any better or any worse. It's just different. And you and I are going to take a real deep dive into that today. And um, I hope that I'm able to share some of my experiences with you. And I hope that our viewership can learn some of the things behind it, because as you and I mentioned in pre-production, it can be relatively easy to let this thing kind of spiral out of control at times. So um, sure. I, I, I'm looking forward to you uh, introducing to our viewers, you know, what it's like to be uh, a club coach and some of the early challenges that we face and then, you know, sharing your story with us. Yeah, let's dive in. Um, I think kind of best for me to start, um, I moved out west to take a job at King Aquatic Club. I was in my late 20s. My then girlfriend, which quickly became my fiance and two years later became my wife, Kate and I uh, kind of wanted to get out of that Northern Virginia, DC grind. It seemed cool to try and move out west. And I moved to Seattle sight unseen. Um, and in those early years, no like real commitments, no kids, no, you know, we had some dogs. Uh, you know, you dive right in. And we uh, we were an organization where we swam seven days a week. Like you either coached on Sunday morning or Sunday night, you went full grind, um, whether you had another job or not to, to supplement your your income that's kind of how we did it and it was i won't even say it was glorified it was just what was expected it wasn't even like this oh i'm gonna try and separate myself by working every day um it was just this is how we do it and this is how we produce excellence and this is how it has to be done so kind of fast forward that along kind of grind as an assistant for some years and eventually work my way up to be a site coach um, but the part we don't talk about is all the other things that come along with being a club coach. So you've got whatever your responsibility is for your group under that umbrella. I was also our like main point of communication. So any email that ever came in the King Aquatic Club, I answered or delineated or scheduled to try out or dealt with the angry parent or whatever it was. Um, and I think the other piece of it, especially when you're working for a coach-owned club, is the business of running this one club. And not only did we have to make sure that we were extremely successful inside in the pool, um, we had a bottom line that we had to pay attention to and make sure that the club was also profitable on top of that. Um, all of what I'm describing there in a seven day week where you're coaching on deck every day, plus all of those things is very quickly and very easily a 60, 70 hour a week job. Um, and we haven't even talked about swim meets or traveling yet. That's just the regular grind. Um, eventually I spent my last five and a half years at King as the co-head coach. Um, so we were running, you know, 
you know, you're running your own site, your own practices, and having this overarching role where you're trying to run a club and you're never where anybody else is. We were a multi-site club. I coached outside during the winter for most of those years. Uh, even my age group coach at the time, like we never, we would maybe walk by each other, but we're never on a pool deck at the same time. So you're almost set up for, uh, I won't say for failure, because we were certainly successful and we were successful maybe despite our structure at times, but you're set up to just grind yourself into the ground and not have success kind of personally out of the pool. That becomes a very difficult thing to do. So during that whole process, you know, uh, my daughters are now 10 and eight. So 2017, that spring, right after our sectional meet, I had kind of decided looking around, my kids were just about to turn seven and four at the time. I was never gonna see them play a sport. I was never gonna be there for anything that had to do with any sort of extracurricular activity. And all of that was gonna, all that burden was gonna fall on my wife's shoulders on top of everything else. So from a partnership and a marriage, that this now becomes a really difficult thing. When she's running her own business, uh, my wife's an executive recruiter, so she does that out of our house now. At the time, she had an office, um, but post-pandemic, that's all out of here. Um, and I knew I had to make a change. And at the time, that change was going to be for me out of the sport. Like, I had, I had just come to that conclusion. I could... Uh, fade into the fitness world somewhere and just be a personal trainer or work at a CrossFit gym or looking, I looked into some jobs in corporate wellness and that sort of thing. And it was time to step away, at least I thought at the time, um, from this sort of culture of working a lot makes you better or working a lot is the only way to do this or everybody's working that much. So if you're not as the head coach, you're not setting a good example. And I think it's actually the opposite. And I think in all of this and in an attempt to really kind of be in the sport for a long time and, or just be healthy physically and mentally uh, along with all that, I had a big shift in there where I went from, I think at my unhealthiest 260, 265 pounds to, you know, I dipped under 200 kind of figuring it out at one point. Um, and again, all of that started to kind of get my mentality going into this idea that seven days a week, 60, 70 hours a week, plus travel, plus meets, plus, 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 wasn't the right way to do it. Um, and that's where my man, Andrew Wynn comes in. So Andrew and I had, had been friends for a long time. Um, just the way you do with other coaches in the LSC, you've been on trips together, you've been on zone trips together. 
we took a 90 person traveling uh, party to Puerto Vallarta once for uh, a swim meet. The, uh, the, what was that one? The NACC meet, the North American Challenge Cup. Uh, and that's when Andrew and I really became friends. He was, you know, a young age group coach at Bellevue Club at the time. And we had sort of thought, you know, maybe someday we could work together. Uh, I had tried to hire him a couple of times. Um, and he came to me and he was like, well, what if I can create a job for you? Where you come in, you run the dry land. Maybe you spend a couple of days on deck with our, uh, with our older groups and you don't go swimming. Okay. Um, and, you know, he kind of planted the seed that summer. Kate and I kind of talked it over and hence I stayed in the sport um, and was able to kind of put my family ahead of my job. I'm the, you know, I, I, I get our kids up and get them to school every morning. I'm the lunch packer. I'm the, you know, as much as possible, the carpool dad. I do coach in the afternoon. So, but I pick up from school. I pick up from soccer practice. Um, I get to be at games. If I have to take a Saturday morning off to, you know, make it to softball or soccer or whatever that is, that's all a possibility. And that's not to say, okay, that the only way you can do this is to go out and find this, you know, extremely unique structure. Um, I think there are ways to do it within the sport and there are ways to structure our coaching staff and there are ways to support each other that we don't do. And I think we partially don't do those things out of ego, out of uh, a lack of kind of, if I'm not there, fear is the word I'll use. If I'm not there and they do well, somebody else is going to get the credit for it. And I'm going to somehow hurt my career or hurt my athletes. But I think the key to kind of how our success has come at Bellevue Club, both as a staff and as a team is, A, we trust each other as swim coaches. So we're all interchangeable if we have to be. Um, and we're not, you know, we sit right around 300 swimmers, a little more, a little less, depending on the year, depending on the time of year. Uh, and we're an eight person staff. We're not like some giant, you know, 20 person, everybody's part-time. Um, for the most part, we have a couple part-time coaches and everybody else is full-time. Um, and if you kind of have to, any age group coach can cover for a senior coach and vice versa. If I'm out, anybody's comfortable walking into the weight room with our athletes, that kind of interchangeability and trust of your staff and of each other if you don't have that, none of this works. And it's just kind of a pie in the sky. I love it, man. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much to unpack with what you said there. And, and I, I wanted to let you go and tell the story because there, there's emotion in your voice. There's even at times explaining some of the things that you used to do. There's still a lingering anxiety that I can feel it's, it's visceral. Um, and part of that is because here across the other side of the country, we go through many of the same exact things. And I, and I wanna unpack 
Ash, some of the things that you talked about there. And the first one is when, when you're telling your story, you said in 2017, you came to this realization, right? And one of the things that we do, especially as young coaches, and one of the things that our mutual friend, Mark Hesse, has really mentored me with is why do you think you need to physically, mentally, emotionally outwork everybody else? Like, why isn't who you are right now in this moment enough, right? And right. you mentioned in, in 2017, you started to come to that realization. Did that happen because you felt you were doing all these things or were you starting to get feedback at home? <laughs> I mean, starting to get feedback at home would be uh, uh, an understatement. But that's, and that's not necessarily a negative thing. It's, you know, it's having an open discussion with your partner. Like, is what you're doing worth it? Like, are you making yourself crazy? How is it affecting your relationship with your daughter? Where is this going to be in 10 years? Like, are we going to be looking back and, you know, your kids are in high school and you've missed it and haven't been the influence that you are on all these other athletes and all these other kids, you know, and feedback from your actual children who miss you and, and want to see you and want to be with you. Um, so for us, it was not just like, oh, you have to be home more, but this idea of like, what makes the most sense for us financially? What makes the most sense for us emotionally and mentally as a family and, you know, moving forward, trying to make humans who are going to contribute to the world, not just, you know, we got by. In all of that, you know, there were two spots where this is kind of blind luck. Bad luck, good luck, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, obviously, some things happened at the club that I used to work at after I left, or things came out where it looked like I had left right at the right time. That was serendipitous, and that was just luck. Two weeks after I started at Bellevue Club, my oldest daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So me being home and having more time and all those things became exponentially more important. We, nobody knew that was going to happen when we were making those decisions in the spring of 2017. Um, but, you know, and I'm not a super religious person. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it was God's will or fate or anything like that. But in, in a lot of ways, it was whichever way you want to look at it, good luck or bad luck. Um, but being available and being around and being able to support Nora and that all not falling on my wife's shoulders became that much more important. Um, Tony Armstrong, whose husband Scott is the head coach at Johns Hopkins, uh, they're, they have a daughter who was recently diagnosed in the last year, and she posted a meme on Instagram the other day. And it was like, you will never know how close you are to a child till you act as one of till you act as one as one of their organs. Um, so, like being your kid's pancreas is a lot different than just, "Hey, I made it to soccer." Um, so, in all of that, yeah, it is emotional, and there was there were a lot of big decisions that were made um, along the line that really benefited us. 
that at the, at the time we didn't know was happening. You're speaking to things that I think most coaches um, who, who want to have a career in this profession struggle with. And, you know, there, there are many of us, I'm, I'm one of them who, who is divorced and luckily re-engaged to a fantastic supportive person. Um, but, you know, much of my first divorce was because I genuinely didn't have the time or wasn't aware of the way that my actions were affecting the relationship, right? Uh, because, and, and people who know me know this, very success-driven, want to put in the extra work. It took me maybe five years to start to realize that I have to dial it back. And I'm sitting here with you today telling you that I need to dial it back more. Yeah. I need to be around more. And some of those conversations are really uncomfortable for a lot of coaches, but I'm not at every field trip. I'm not at, I'm never picking up from school uh, occasionally, you know, and the moments that we have together are great, but I need to do a much better job the, our little kids are the same age as your kids. So I, a, a little bit younger, I have, I have a, almost nine and a seven. Um, and th this is the age where now they're fully aware and cognizant that dad is gone an awful lot of the time. Yeah. How did you, it, it's relatively easy to prioritize our kids, right? But it's hard to right. prioritize our kids and we have to make sure we're meeting all these other metrics in the family. Do we have enough money? Are, are we going to be taken care of? Uh, with, with, in our profession, Ash, you know as well as anybody, health insurance. Uh, you know, Another big part of, of uh, you know, I, we're lucky at the Bellevue Club. We, we work for, for, you know, I used to think coach-owned was the only way to go. I'll never work for a team that has a, a parent board. Well, we are... I think the proper term is institution owned. So the Bellevue Club, we are just a department within the Bellevue Club. So we're employees like anyone else. We have health insurance, we have 401ks, we have benefits, uh, things I never had. And again, I didn't know that I was going to have a child with a, a chronic disease. Um, you know, again, part of where some of this was just dumb luck for me. But I was also kind of very upfront with Andrew, and we're a pretty young coaching staff. You know, there's a couple of us, there's like three of us in our 40s, and everybody else is under 30. And we talk about kind of setting the stage for those guys who are just now getting married and having their families and that sort of thing, and wanting people to be able to do that and support them. And it's a very different mentality from most clubs, and I won't kind of harp on where I was before, but it's my example. So that's why I say it that way, not that it was all negative. I had a great experience in a lot of ways and wouldn't be where I am without that experience, obviously. But when Ken Spencer and I started having kids, it was like, that's sort of this thing in the way. You guys figure that out and get back to doing what you're doing as soon as you possibly can get back to doing what you're doing the way you've always been doing it. It wasn't, you've now had a child, let's figure out how we can make sure that you're supported 
and you have time and you know if you need to take a saturday morning how are we going to make sure that we have the infrastructure to do that it's not just you know a willingness it's making sure that you have a staff that's prepared to step in for each other and buys into that idea that it's not i'm doing this because Ash has decided he wants to have a family. It's I'm going to do this because when I need it, somebody else is going to have my back. And that's that's a a, a very different way to approach a, a swim coaching staff as opposed to not only are we all going to try to outgrind each other, we're going to be competitive with each other. And and Andrew's done a really nice job of giving everybody credit for everything that's happened. And it, um, he does a nice job of bringing age group coaches up to coach with the national and performance kids at times. So, one, they still have a hand in those kids' development because they're the ones who develop them. Someone who kind of uh, was an age group coach at the beginning, you would kind of get these kids to 12, 13, 14, whatever, and pass them on to a senior coach. And then you, it was like, that's it. You've done your job. Don't ever talk to them again. Um, but being able to kind of stay involved with them and being able to, again, at any point, step in for each other and it be seamless, not just for us, but more importantly, for the athletes. Um, if Andrew takes the day off, you know, Andrew's getting his, his second shot tomorrow, today, today, uh, I'm, I'm covering his practice tomorrow. Those kids aren't going to be like, oh man, it's Ash. What are we getting? this sucks. We don't have our coach here. Uh, they know somebody competent and capable and who's been with them and knows them is going to step in and, and, and do that for them. Yeah. That, that synergy is so nice. And you touched on some things there too, that I want to unpack because it's so important. So, you know, here I am the, the head coach and the CEO, I have a staff, I have a couple full-time staff members. I'm constantly thinking to myself, okay, where are we financially right now? What does the revenue look like? Am I going to be able to continue to take care of these guys through the pandemic? You know, what does that look like? Am I going to have enough money to continue to do this USA Swimming health insurance for them? You know, and so that that takes over one side of your brain. And then the other side of your brain is like, you got to stop and prioritize, right? And you have to balance those two things. You can take care of both families, but the one at home, is the critical piece. And, and I think it's hard for coaches, especially when you're building teams, you know, when you're building teams from the ground up. And I talked to Paris about this and it's really hard. Paris is having, having kids and, you know, really getting machine going at the same time. Oh yeah. I had to remind herself, you know, the priority right now is for me to be home with the kids. Um, yeah. and, and in true Paris fashion, you know, she figures out how to balance something and just excels right through it. But it's a process for a lot of people. And not an easy one. And you kind of like being able to step back and like, okay, let's take the top off the house and kind of watch what's happening. Like, how is this working? Who is like, are we spending enough time with them? Are we are we there? You know, and I grew up, and this is not to criticize my own parents in any way, shape, or form, who are very excited to watch this at some point. But, you know, my parents were immigrants. They came to the U.S., like, and 
what they knew how to do was put their nose down and work. Um, and all to my sister and I's benefit. But as a kid, I spent, you know, afternoons at the neighbor's house. Or as I got older, I was like the classic latchkey kid. Um, and in a lot of ways, that sort of accelerated my development as a person. Like I had to mature a little bit earlier. I had to be responsible for myself. I knew how to make myself a meal when I was, you know, 11. Uh, but like I would trade any and all of that for more time with either of my parents during that time. Uh, I didn't know it then. They didn't know it then. You know what I mean? They were doing what was in the best interests of us as a family. Um, and to a certain extent, my kids don't know it now. Um, like they don't, they just know I'm around, like, which is, you know, hopefully 10, 15, 20 years from now, they can look back on our relationship and realize we have a relationship that is based on this time we spent together and that dad was there every morning for breakfast and he's the one who took us to school and all that sort of thing. Um, but in the moment, they don't, they don't know that they don't, and I don't expect them to, they're little kids. They're there to be little kids. So that kind of makes sense. It's not like, you know, I had this like idyllic life where my children are like, thank you, Papa. You're so great. You're here for us every day. You know, you're in the grind and you're in what's happening all day long. And it's really easy to get caught up in like, can we just get through the day um, without kind of, again, taking the, the, the roof off the house and looking down and going, okay, but what's actually going on here? I, when, you, when you talk about, you know, having that time with your kids, it, it makes me so happy for you because I, I know how, how real the struggle is for so many coaches out there. And you had to have, and this brings me to my next point, you had to have a certain amount of faith in, in your wife and in your family dynamic. And you had to have a little bit of bravery to say, you know what? I don't need to be the head coach. I can slip into this other role that's still going to be fulfilling for me in as many ways as I need to be. But I'm putting the focus on my children. Talk to me about, you know, the, the certain level of courage that it takes to be able to do that. Because sitting here with you today and everything you talk about, I'm, I'm like, I want that, you know, but there might be some coaches out there who, who aren't sure how to start that process. So what did it take for you to get the courage to do that? Um, I think for one, you got to realize that if you do try something, if you do make a change, then you know this may be better than anyone else. You can always go back. Like there's no, like there's no, you, you, the, the door is not going to close on the sport for you if you change your role for five, six years to raise your kids or 10 years. It's not like there aren't plenty of coaches out there who don't become head coaches till later in life. Anyway, um, so that realization for one, um, and the idea that, what it didn't take bravery to realize or courage or a risk was that this time is fleeting. Like it's here now and it's not going to be here. 
So, I mean, that conclusion was pretty easy to come to. I got lucky in a lot of ways because I ended up in a job where I can still have influence on a lot of athletes. And I got kind of put in a spot where instead of having a group of 15, 20 more elite swimmers, and that's who I coach on a daily basis, I'm the only one of our staff who spends time with 100 plus athletes now. I run the dry land for our 11-year-olds. I run the dry land for our college postgrads who are training for trials and everything in between. So on a weekly basis, we're in a tent outside on the tennis courts right now. That's our weight room, has been the whole pandemic. It's a giant circus tent that we run in. Wedding tent, excuse me, not circus tent. And, uh, you know, I have 100, 120 kids who might walk through there every week for two, three hours a week, depending on who they are or more. So still being able to have that big of an effect on everybody, knowing that the time with my kids was fleeting, really made those decisions pretty easy in the sense of, like once you kind of make the big decision, like I'm gonna step back. But in a lot of ways there was, you know, I, I was receiving some criticism at the time for, you know, Ash took the afternoon off of the February classic and wasn't at the 14 and under session of the meet. It's like, well, yeah, my wife was out of town. I had to get a babysitter for the morning session to watch my kids. And I missed the afternoon. You know what I mean? So when, when you start to get put under the microscope like that, it's like, seriously, like, do you know what you're actually saying? So again, it kind of just made it like, am I really doing this for anything other than my own self-fulfillment and my own ego? Because I want to say I'm the head coach and I'm in charge of this. And, you know, we're producing a bunch of trial qualifiers or, you know, two thirds of my group has summer junior cuts. It's like, okay, who cares in the end? Like, good for you. What's it getting you? That mentality right there is the one that I think coaches struggle with the most. And, you know, you just have good foresight because, you know, it was, it's a great segue because we talk about parent pressure, you know, and, and I know that most of my parents will watch this because they watch most of the coach's corner. But if I'm not at a practice, and not all the time, but sometimes if I'm not at a practice or a meet, and I have a great staff who can handle themselves beautifully and do a wonderful job. It's still something that I have to spend 20 minutes answering emails, texts, phone calls about why I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I wasn't there is the same reason that all of these parents miss for their job too. Exactly. Including, including texting or calling me and asking me why yeah, not, yeah, yeah. their child's meet. So how did you how did you quantify some of that and and talk to me about the communication you had with parents that way? You know, um, so I'll kind of take it back to when I was a head coach. I kind of had grown my own site. So it kind of went from this like just ragtag Ash has these 20 kids up north and he scrambles around and fights some pool time to, you know, I, I Tommy Cunningham had come on with me and was now coaching my younger kid. And we had built this thing into like a hundred, 120 person site just on our own. But a lot of those kids that I was coaching 
kind of came up with me the whole way through. Like the kids that I was coaching at the end, I had had since they were 10. So those, those parents had kind of watched me grow up as a person, as, as, as a coach and with their kids. So they were the first ones who were kind of there for me as a new dad in the kind of support standpoint. Like I would have I had a mom who would like come drop off her carpool to me to drive to practice so she could watch my daughter for an hour before my wife came home. Like people were pitching in in ways like that that I would never have imagined. Um, so my parent group was pretty supportive at the time. Um, but as that sort of evolves, obviously, like that's an idyllic kind of unicorns and rainbows scenario. For me, it was always like, hey guys, I'm going to be out Saturday. This is why I'm going to be out Saturday. And, you know, here's what we're going to be doing on Saturday. Here's who's going to be covering. It's going to be the exact same thing you've always had outside of my big loud voice for the day. So I did as best I could to kind of try and prepare those people. The thing that we really harp on now is trying to make sure that the athlete's experience is the same no matter who's on the deck. So they don't they don't feel like there's any kind of change in the service, if you will, for lack of a better word, not that all we are is a service. But I'm also, you know, it, it's easy for me to say all that, but I'm also not the, the, the head man and I don't have a specific group right now. Like I'm still sort of this floater guy. You know, Ash is extra in a lot of ways. You know, sure. not that I'm not trying to make myself replaceable or anything, but you know what I mean? No, uh, I, I get it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think you, you were able to do is kind of lean into some of those parents who came up with you in a sense when, when you decided to make this change and you had a support system. Um, and, and that can be particularly helpful. You know, and, and having the, you, you mentioned it a couple of times, how you're going to, you're going to cover Andrew's practice tomorrow. And, um, you know, that won't be this big change for the kids and the parents understand it takes a lot to get to that level. Um, for sure. and, it's, and it's great that you have that. And, and I think, you know, here we're moving towards that, uh, especially with bringing Dan on, as you met earlier, uh, he's an alum of the program. He's going to fit in really, really well, <clears throat> but, um, you know, it takes time to answer parent emails and text messages. And how did you set up some of the boundaries with your parents at some of the places you've been so that you can help balance at, at home? You know, I, we have a, a rule in this house that as soon as I get home, I can plug my phone into the charger, but I'm not touching it again until the morning. Uh, and and, and I, I violate it more often than not. Uh, because I feel the, the immediacy of the moment, right? And, and Nikki will remind me, like, you don't need to answer that right now. Like, there is no reason in the world at 1030 at night you need to answer this. Um, Not only that, coaches. Like, let, let, let's, let's hammer this point home. If someone has sent you an email after 8 o'clock at night and they expect a response, like, None of those people hold themselves to that standard at their own job. Like, let's, let's, like, think about that for a sec. Like, if, if 
somebody in another job gets an email that late at night, and again, I know there are doctors and lawyers and people out there that are way more important than us, but unless it's 100% time sensitive that it happened in the next 12 hours, like wait and do it till you're done either coaching in the morning or you know your kids are out the door. It's not like none of it is urgent. Unless again, it's like a pool went down and we have to get some information out. Cause like there are times when that's a real thing, but this idea that, and I had it, like I was the king of, I'm going to provide this service to our members where if they send an email, I'm going to respond immediately. And if somebody wants to try out, they're going to get a response within five minutes. Like nobody actually expects that. Nobody actually expects that. And you're not separating yourself from anybody else. You're just being over the top because again, in the back of your mind, you think it makes you look better. Um, and in a lot of ways, if somebody really sits back and thinks about it, it's also, you're now training that parent to think, this is totally cool. Like if I need something at 10 o'clock at night, I can just text Mike and he's gonna respond to me. And that's, that, that is a boundary that 100% should exist for all of us, like if they happen to have your cell phone number, which obviously is, it's unrealistic to think I'm never gonna text with a parent, but there's a limit to it. And there's a limit to the time and people like, you just need to lay the rules out and, and make it that way and make it that way for everybody, not just for you. That should be the way it goes for everybody on your staff, not just you. And you all have to, buy into that idea and support each other in that idea. You can't have the one rogue coach who's gonna be the email answerer at 10 o'clock at night. That person has to realize that this behavior has ramifications. And if people think that they can have that kind of access to you, they think they can have that kind of access to all of us. And it sets off this chain of events. Whereas if I've got a written communication policy if it's an emergency, we will email you or, you know, whatever system people use, whether it's Team Unify or Team Snap or whatever that is, like, this is our information, this is our emergency system. Otherwise, if you want to hear, if you have something you want to ask a coach, it should be between, and honestly, like, let's really come down to it. It should be between 9 a.m. and when you leave for afternoon practice, like, Anybody who starts emailing you or texting you when they know you're on the deck and then think they're going to get a response after that, that it's not a realistic thing that you're going to be able to maintain for your whole career. You're going to, at some point, look around and you're either going to be burnt out, divorced, looking for a new job, or you or just unfulfilled. Like, this is no longer worth it. All I do is respond to people and I'm not getting anything out of my actual relationship with my athletes, which should be the most important thing. I'm so glad that, that you talked about that because boundaries are a challenge in any profession right now with how accessible everybody is. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily just texting or calling or emailing right now there's the social media platform it's this whole new dynamic where people can get a hold of you um and it is so important to remove yourself from that 
and, and, and understand that there will be times where you need to act quickly. But for most of the time, and you made this point really clear, most parents wouldn't hold themselves to the same standard that they're holding you in, in certain moments. And, and it can be your best parent at time. It can be the mm -hmm. person that, that never gives you any, any issue, but feels as though like they're able to connect in that way. And, and having conversations, I think, with the club as a whole and with parents as a whole and with your staff as a whole, you can help create a dynamic that's gonna be much more healthy. Because what happens when you read that text at 10, and maybe it's the only time you've had with your wife all week, and now you're not thinking about whatever meaningful conversation you may have been having. Um, you know, cause sometimes I'll get the mic, mic, mic. I'm, I'm talking to you right now, put your phone down. You know, it's so easy. Now you're, now even after responding, you're still thinking about like, did I say the right thing? Or if you don't respond, right. just that you've read it. It's now in your head and now you're stewing on it. And now it's distracted you from, what's in front of you or the immediacy um and and you know I'm, I'm far from perfect uh you know being like detaching myself from my phone is is a challenge for all of us and then you know we you can go down the 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 path of what kind of example are we setting for our kids electronically and all that sort of thing and like that's kind of the next frontier for me it's like just get away from it, put, put it down. And even just from an entertainment standpoint outside of uh, actually communicating with parents and swim coaches and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it, it, it's amazing, man, because, you know, as a head coach and as coaches, now there's this whole other responsibility and it exists whether or not people think it does or not. And that's the marketing aspect. And the social media piece is the biggest part of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we're pouring ourselves into that. And, and that's time where I feel like, man, if I didn't do, <laughs> if I didn't have to do this, and it's great because I can see the analytic, and I'm a numbers guy with this stuff. I see mm -hmm. the analytics on how, how it's bringing people to our, to our organization, to our business. And so you're like, uh, now I'm, I'm locked to that, right? Right. And once you establish that sort of, we produce this kind of Instagram content every day, if it's gone for two or three days, it's like, what's wrong? What's going on? What's happening? Yes. And again, we're a little bit lucky that we have some infrastructure behind us and we have a marketing department at the Bellevue Club who does this, you know, helps. We have staff who does it. We have you, you know, every single coach on the staff back to how do we support each other? Every single coach on the staff has access to the Bellevue Club Instagram. Uh, and, and that's a collaborative effort. It's not just one person. And again, I think as head coaches, a lot of times, it, instead of having that big picture view, we want to, we want to check boxes. We want to get things done. And sometimes doing the thing that's right in front of you that makes it feel like I've accomplished something for the day instead of having a big picture perspective on my team, I'm going to, you know, uh, mail out a bunch of flyers or I'm just like somebody else could do that for you. Sure. You have other members of your staff use them and to, to, 
to help you do all of it, to help you build the business, to help you schedule full time, like make it a collaborative effort. We're all in this together and you're helping your staff someday become a head coach by teaching them all these other responsibilities outside of, oh wait, I didn't realize that not only did you coach your own group and do all the communication and schedule tryouts, you also ran around and found full-time at places and signed contracts and met with the university so you could make sure you still had, like there's all these other things that kind of fall in your lap that you never, ever, ever think about when you're that age group coach who's got all the energy in the world and you wanna be the Pied Piper. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm in charge of all these things? Where did this come from? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just kind of went off on a tangent there, but it's partially like other people can do things with you and for you, and you don't need to like get caught up in the minutia of your job. So important, right? And and I think a lot of coaches in USA Swimming, a lot of club coaches will say, you know, the perfect job for me is the one where I just coach swimming. I get it. Those are very few and far between. And maybe you could create. It doesn't something. exist. It's not a thing. Right. Like, sure. It, it sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, and everybody. And, but there's a caveat to all of that. There's like, oh, if I was a college coach, I wouldn't have to worry about this, this, and this, and this. And I wouldn't have to worry about parents. Well, okay, but you have to worry about recruiting and where your swimmer's going to come from and what are they doing at night and what, what are they doing the other 22 hours of the day. And, you know, like. How many full pay kids does the administration need? How many scholarships do you have? What kind of money's left over? What's your budget? I mean, all of it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the joke was always, I'd like to coach at an orphanage because there's no parents or at a boarding school. But again, all of that's going to come with other, like it all comes with other responsibilities. And you need so, your parents. Your parents are your best ally, man. You know, like, mm -hmm. Man, I got some great parents. Like, if I didn't have four or five particular parents, we would not exist. Mm -hmm. we, we, we would not exist. You know, we, I had people doing cold calls in the pandemic. You know, we're swimming out of the lake. We're swimming out of rec centers that we never used. We're swimming out of pools we didn't even know existed. Yeah. And uh, without these folks, like it never, ever would have happened. And I think that's another thing, you know, with balance, you got to, you got to, you got to, your parents are your best customers, man. You know, you're but your educating your parents is your job as well. Like if we want to start to talk about what's under the umbrella, you know, we, we used to do like new parent 101. And like, that might've been the most important thing I did every year in terms of setting the stage for expectations going forward and setting all those boundaries that we just talked about and making people understand that like, this is youth sports. We do need you to volunteer. And you may think you have no skills that are important to us, but maybe you do. Maybe you're a graphic designer and you can help take something else off of somebody else. Whatever that is, like, set your parents up to help you and to, to make you successful as opposed to being adversarial or being the enemy. Like if a parent asks you a question, it doesn't necessarily mean they're questioning you. 
but it is an opportunity to kind of educate them on whatever the subject is at the time. So they kind of understand and have that big picture and they're not constantly asking you the same thing again and get them to get your message out. You know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the decision-making processes behind pairing things back as a coach. Now I want to ask you a question about how you include your family into Bellevue Club Swim Team. What do you do from your coach's position that brings your family into what you've been doing? You know, when I was talking to my wife about kind of this, this kind of that we were going to have this discussion, um, you know, she was like, you know, the other way this works is if your kids are super into swimming and you have a spouse who's involved with the team, you know, we're all thinking Dana Paris in the back of our heads that like they built this team together. It's like, this is who we were and this is who we've always been. And my wife and I both grew up in Northern Virginia in the MVSL. Uh, we met working for a pool company. She was managing a pool. I worked for the pool company who, you know, hired lifeguards and whatnot. Unfortunately for us in our little nook of Seattle, the outdoor pools, like your first sort of rah-rah summer league swimming that would get us in the door to the sport, have waiting lists that I would have had to have gotten on when my kids were not even born for them to have been eight and unders on the swim team by now. So we kind of missed that boat. And in a lot of ways, it sucks. My kids aren't swimmers, but there's also some advantages to the fact that my kids aren't swimmers. They don't have the expectations of being the coach's kid. They don't have my last name. They don't have, the, you know, and they have these, they, they can kind of make their own paths down whatever sport they're going, they're going to go down. My kids have always, from the beginning, like if we're stuck or I got to have a kid on deck with me, it's like, I've always done that. Like I used to wear Nora in the baby Bjorn and coach. I used to have a, uh, a mom who would just be like so concerned about her future hearing and that you know you're yelling right in her ear um so they uh they've always been around at practice they've always come to the club as long as uh i mean less now covid times and whatnot um but i've always been in a spot where if i have to have my kids with me they're with me and if uh you know, our babysitters have always been club swimmers. Uh, I talked about it before, like I used to have, I had a mom who for years would be like, okay, I'm, uh, I have, a, I have a, a college nanny who drives my daughters around, but I'm going to send her to watch your kids. And then you're going to take my kids to practice. Okay. So in that sense, my kids are comfortable being at the club, are comfortable being around our athletes, but we're not a swimming family in the sense of my kids aren't swimmers. They can swim. Uh, my daughter was on like the local club team around the corner from here for about, I don't know, five, six weeks last fall. And she was like, this is awful. And, uh, and it's partially, she has no, but like she, she can swim, but she has no, she doesn't have that foundation of lessons, summer league at my summer league pool. And that, you know, that, that, that little hit of dopamine you used to get when you were 
an eight and under and you made it across the pool for the first time and they gave you that lollipop or, you know, now I'm a speedy sixer and I'm getting a ribbon for finish, whatever that is, we missed out on that kind of intro piece. And to a certain extent it is what it is. So my, my five foot three, 10 year old is probably going to end up uh, rowing a boat or playing softball versus being a swimmer. And that's okay too. I, I hear you, man. We, you know, we've had, we've been very fortunate. Our, our stepchildren love swimming and I've been able to coach them all, all almost all the way through now. Um, and then the younger two, I, you know, I'm going to be at, I think some soccer games and some equestrian meets, yeah. you know, and that's just how it's going, you know, um, and, and learning to be super supportive through the great swim club parents that I've seen come up, you know, through the, and, and the, those super supportive parents that I've seen, I didn't really see a lot of, but I know who they are. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, I mean, I'm still a coach, right? So I'm still watching coaches coach and I'm constantly watching coaches coach, whether that's in a CrossFit gym or watching my own kids. Like I'm constantly watching how do coaches communicate and how do they like instill what they want out of their athletes. So sometimes there, it's hard to bite your tongue, right? But then it's like, you're a parent now, you're not the coach, don't coach. Um, yeah resist the urge when they get in the car to like be the coach like tell them like it's i have to like remember everything i've ever said to a swim team parent when my own kid gets in the car after a soccer game it's like i really enjoyed watching you play love watching you swim you know it listen if it comes up organically they'll they'll let me geek out but once you get in the car after practice it's there's no swim talk yeah, I can't even imagine that. Like being the coach and then driving home, like that's a whole different. You just got to let it play out. You got to let, you got to meet them in the car in their space. And once you understand what that space is, you you know the boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ash, listen, man, I've really enjoyed this conversation and we could probably go on for hours. It, it, it was such an important thing. And, you know, we really hit on some hard topics. And um, I know that I know that it will resonate with a lot of people in our community. And how can coaches get in touch with you if, if they want to ask you more questions about this or pick your brain on making some tough decisions? I am PSU Ash on Instagram. Shout out to the Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, you can reach me at ashm at bellevueclub.com. I, uh, I have a side dryland business. You can reach me at ash at re athletics.com um but i i i relish the the opportunity to kind of mentor anybody and answer questions for people and whether that's folks who are about to have a family or you're in charge of a team for the first time anybody who kind of wants to have the discussion of how do you build a staff that supports each other and creates a family so you can have a family or uh Anybody who wants to bounce Dryland ideas around, anything like that, I'm uh, I'm an open book and pretty available. I'm gonna hit you up for some Dryland, man, because my I'm getting stale. I'm like, I, I need I need some new Dryland. That's uh, a whole separate. I could do an hour on any of that anytime. So let me know. Awesome. Quick fire questions. You ready? Yeah. All right. 
Does it take a sub 21 second performance in Tokyo to win the gold medal in the men's 53? Yes. All right. A lot of people are going with that. Okay. Will Katie Ledecky break eight minutes in the 800 free? No. What is the future of NCAA swimming and diving? Positive, negative, unsure. I think it's going to be tough on the men's side. I think it's unsure in the sense of, I hope financially we can survive. Has the shift officially begun from West Coast traditional women's powers to now East Coast? Um, I mean, as amazing as Todd DeSorbo is doing, and uh, the, I, I think the academic excellence along with the athletic excellence that exists in the Pac-12 will be hard to just erase. That's just because you live in Pac-12 country. I'm a Big Ten guy through and through, though. So. Okay. And, right. uh, and, you know, grew up an ACC and Big East basketball fan, so. How about uh, fill, filling the uh, job opening at Texas? What, cool. That's going to be unbelievable. It's such huge shoes to fill, too. Um, you know, you almost want to be the guy after the guy, if that makes sense. Um I will say, I think it's, I think it's going to be a up and coming assistant, not a established head coach. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there. I, I think it would also be, you know, whoever Eddie gives the, his blessing for. For sure. Um, but excited to see. Ash Malad, awesome episode of Coach's Corner. I can't wait till we can actually see each other in person again and say what's up and Again, uh, can watch your swimmers continue to do very, very well. And you're lucky to have you as a head coach. And certainly your family is. I am just the performance coach. I'm not the head coach. Yes. I'm just a helper. Who drives performance? Uh, and, and certainly your family is so blessed to have you around more. <clears throat> and a lot of coaches will learn from this. So really appreciate it. All of our viewers, we... Uh, we will have this up on our website and up on our YouTube channel. We'll also share it across all of our social platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and uh, as I mentioned on our YouTube channel and, and my personal Facebook and Instagram. Ash, thank you so much. Really look thank forward you, to uh, seeing where you go in the future and, and what happens with you and, and the team up there. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it.